Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Uh, we're excited today. We're coming into the Easter season, and um, we just finished our generosity series. And I want to just say that um, those of you that filled out cards last week and just stepped out of the box and said, Lord, I'm going to trust you in my finances. Um, uh, there were so many cards coming in. I'm having a hard time. I just need a week to sit aside and write letters to all of you, but I'm, I'm promised I'll get them out. But you guys are awesome. Just your level of faith and saying, God, I'm going to trust you with the first 10% of what you've blessed me with to you, and I'm going to take that 90-day challenge. And you guys have just blessed us so much by doing that, and uh, uh, just great. So now we enter into the Easter season, and we're excited about uh, the possibilities because People come on Easter that wouldn't come any other time of the year. And to me, it's always an opportunity for someone to find Jesus. And, um, and so we're looking forward to that. And uh, so I thought really <clears throat> um, we would talk today to kind of lead into this season to take an overview, uh, like a panoramic view of God's plan. Uh, because so many times in the context of a Sunday service, we're getting little clips, little snippets of the gospel you know, something from here and something from there. But uh, there might be some of you that say, man, I, I, why do we need a Savior? Like, wh- why do I need, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Uh, I don't understand all that. And, and hopefully today, um, we're going to take a jet tour through this. I'm going to crank through it. So take notes, and then it'll be on YouTube in a day or two, and you can rewatch it if you miss something. But I want to show you an overview of what went wrong and how God fixed it. And I know it's going to bless you, and we're going to get cranked. You guys ready? Put your seatbelts on, get your pencils out and your pens, and, and uh, we're, we're going to go for it. I've called this the seven C's of God's plan, the seven C's of God's plan. So in the culture that we live in, uh, generations now uh, have been taught, and, and they see the Bible as just a, a book of teachings that is disconnected from anything in real life. It's just a bunch of spiritual concepts. Um, we really live in a post-Christian culture, believe it or not. And uh, um, this limited viewpoint explains why there's so many questions um, about the Bible. Uh, things like uh, dinosaurs and, and fossils and why is there death and why is there suffering and so many other things. Our secular world has uh, tried to really influence our young people uh, the baby boomers and the, the Gen X generations, and that, that all of this is because uh, there is no God. And, and, and if there is, it always frustrates me because they, they'll, they'll teach our kids in our, in our schools there is no God, but yet they're mad at God. And I don't get that. You can't be mad at something you don't, know, you don't believe exists, but that's, for an, that's another message. But today I want to show you what went wrong and, and why we need Jesus, why every single one of us needs a Savior. We need to be redeemed and we need to be reunited, reconnected with a holy God. And um, so hopefully this will help you today. So number one, the first C I want to talk about is creation. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one than the rest of them. Creation. We look in Genesis 1, and it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The book of Genesis means beginnings. Um, God tells us in this passage that he created the earth in six days. 
It goes, takes you through day one, day two. And let me give you something to think about because I feel like this is a verse that can be misinterpreted at times. <clears throat> In 2 Peter 3, it says, uh, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like, I want you to say like, like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. So a lot of people will say, well, I don't believe in the literal account of creation. I believe that because of this verse, that the creation took 6,000 years. Every day was a thousand years. And um, I, I just don't think that's the right interpretation of that. Because um, uh, I believe in what Genesis 1 says, that those were literal 24-hour days. Yeah, but what about the trees and what about the dinosaurs and all of these things? This verse is saying that a day is like or as a thousand years, not that a day is a thousand years. There's a big difference. It's what you call a simile. And it basically, it was written to show you the contrast between um, a literal 24-hour day and a literal thousand-year span. And, and to God, because he stands outside of time, he's not bound by that. So, so God stands outside this physical dimension of time. He's not bound by the same timeline that you and I are bound by. We can see backwards, but we cannot see forward, right? And that's, that's where we are at, and we're going to see in just a moment when that was instituted. And so God stands outside that. So I believe wholeheartedly that creation, as it's, as it's uh, spelled out in Genesis, was six literal days. You say, well, that would, be, that would be miraculous. Yeah, but so is the resurrection. So is so, is so many other things, right? So let, let's just get into this, and uh, we're, we're going to tear it apart a little bit. So day one, God said, let there be light, and there was. He separated the light from the darkness and called the light day and the darkness night. And it's interesting, the light in, in this account comes from a source other than the sun because the sun hadn't even been created yet till day four. And I think it's just a little glimpse of, of when we read Revelation where it says there'll be no more sun or moon and, and, and everything will be lit by the presence of God. Isn't that crazy? I wonder if you get a suntan in the presence of God. You know, the, the light right anyway. Um, so number two, uh, God made an expanse, uh, something that stretched out like space, uh, that separated the waters above the expanse and the waters below the expanse. We all know in our atmosphere that there's water in our atmosphere. It's where we get rain and snow, and there's water under the atmosphere. That happened on day two. Day three, God caused the waters under the expanse to come together so that dry ground appeared. And he told the land to bring forth plants and trees. So if God stands outside of time, <clears throat> he, he could have said, okay, uh, I, want, I want oak trees, and I want all of these things to, to, to come forth, and they would have come forth as mature, old-looking trees instantly by his word. Why couldn't he have done that? Maybe you don't know. He, he, he couldn't. He, 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 could, he could just, he could, these things had the appearance of age but were created in a day. I think that when it says the land uh, separated so that the waters and the land would be separated, how do you do that? You raise the land up, right? you got to work with me here. Day four, God made the sun and the moon and the stars, and they were to serve as signs to mark the seasons, the days, and the years. That's when the clock started ticking for humanity, right there. The clock started ticking. And the sun and moon were to rule the day and the night. That's how we keep track of time, is by 
the sun rising and the sun setting, right? That's how we do it. Okay, day five, God created the animals that live in the water and those that fly in the air. And then day six was a big day for God. God created the land animals, including dinosaurs. And his most spectacular creation, humanity. When God had completely finished creating, he labeled everything that he created as very good. Imagine a place. Imagine a world or imagine a, uh, uh, an environment where there's no death, there's no violence, there's no sickness, there's no pain, there's no fear. It was perfect in every way. When God says it's very good, I'm telling you, it's very good. Day seven says God rested from or stopped his work of creation. He worked six days creating what we now know as life and rested on the seventh day and became the first of the week, um, became the first week. And so today, most people follow this example where you'll work six days and take a Sabbath day for rest, which is important to have that day of rest and dedicate it to God. And, 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 and we need that, don't we? If, if God needed it, you and I need that. And it says in Colossians 1 that he existed before anything else and he holds all things together. So like a finely tuned Swiss watch, the universe, the planets are all rotating on their axis. They're, everything's held together perfectly. Gravity is holding you in your chair right now. Everything is working perfectly because he holds it all together through his word. If he decided to uh, withdraw his word, the chair you'd be sitting on would fall apart because there'd be nothing holding the atoms and the molecules together, and you'd be sitting on the floor. That's God. So there's a difference between, a lot of people will say, well, science doesn't back up creation. It backs up evolution. No, it doesn't. So let me just, uh, get, let me just point out some things. So there's two types of science. There's observational science and there's historical science. So observational science is simply this. Let's just say we're going to take the Empire State Building and we're going to research it. We want to find out where it came from. We want to find out all about it that we can. So you're going to go out there with a tape measure and you're going to measure the height of the Empire State Building, the width, the breadth. You're going to measure the square feet. You can do that physically. That's observational science. You'll know everything there is to know about the structure, but you won't know where it came from or how it got there simply by observational science. So you need historical science. And historical science basically is based on eyewitness accounts. So I can go back and read through records. I can watch video footage. Remember the video footage of, the, of when they were building the Empire State Building and those hard hat workers would sit on those beams and eat lunch and they had no safety cables? That just freaks me out. Um... We, we can see th there, was, uh, there were eyewitness accounts written in video now in, in this 21st century that we can go back and we can tell exactly the day that they broke ground for the Empire State Building, when they laid the cornerstone, the building progress. That's historical science. Eyewitness accounts combined with the observational science, you get the whole picture. Well, let me just say this. Do you think there were witnesses throughout creation uh, that witnessed that, yes, God, he, he wrote it all down for us. Uh, we, there's historical uh, accounts, which is biblical, but there's also observational that there, there's proof that there was a flood. There's proof that there was a resurrection. Um, in just secular writings, Josephus, who, who wrote a lot of the writings of the Bible, 
uh, about the Bible, not in the Bible, but wrote a lot of these things from a historical basis. There's so much that backs up everything that we believe in Scripture from observational science. So there's proof is what I'm trying to say. And how about the miracle of DNA? 30 years ago, we didn't even know what DNA meant. DNA is telling us and showing us that in each of us, there's a complex code to who you are physically. You ever look at a DNA chart and you see how the DNA, how, how the, the little squares and the circles are all tied together? They can miraculously tell if, if, if I did a crime, if I committed a crime 40 years ago and I left uh, a part of me there, whether it be through sweat or blood or whatever, they can now tell if I was there or not through my DNA. It's an organized uh, structure. And, and uh, what I think is amazing is the secular world will tell us there is no God, there was no creator. It was, it, everything went from chaos and disorder into order because of a bang. Now, I'm not, I'm not the smartest tool in the toolbox, but I have witnessed order explode into disorder. How many, you got teenagers in their bedrooms, right? But I've never seen order come into order, have you? And how in the world, if, if, if we just evolved from from uh, uh, an amoeba or cell and, and, and some primordial ooze. How in the world did we have such a complex DNA structure, if that was the case? There, it, it, of order, something created that that was, that, was a, that was orderly that could create that order in us. I mean, it's not rocket science. And then when you look at the science of radiometric dating or carbon dating, um, when properly interpreted, does not show that the earth is billions of years old. We will be told that as fact, and it's not. In fact, the Creation Institute uh, did some studies and some examples, and they would send rock samples that were clearly only a few thousand years old to a lot of secular laboratories. Uh, I'm not going to name who they are, uh, it, just for dating. And they were routinely given ages of millions of years old on things. It's, it's just the talking points. It's just what they do. And it's anything, I believe anything they can do to disprove what God has said is true. They're trying to do. And, we're, and, and a lot of people drink the Kool-Aid. I shouldn't have said that. My email is um, pastormikeatthebaptistchurch.com. Can I share with you one more example? So um, uh, Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980, um, and, it, and it just caused a lot of damage. Some people died. It was a crazy explosion. So now when you go to Mount St. Helens, you can, you can dig down, and you can see multiple layers of sedimentary rock, which are exactly like the Grand Canyon, and, and it, it, by all appearances, it looks like it's millions of years old, and it's only 40 years old. So what am I trying to say? If, if, <laughs> if God says... Uh, that I created the, the world in six days, I'm, I'm believing that because there's so much to me in the physical realm that proves it to me that God is the author of our life, of our DNA, of how you and I are wired, everything. It didn't just happen. So number two, what happened? So God created this perfect world. Everything was great. And then the second C is corruption. Something had to happen to change it. 
We went from perfection to imperfection. And, and so Adam and, Adam and Eve lived in this beautiful uh, area. It was bigger than a garden like you and I would think. It was a region. It was an area of Eden. And, and it, was, it was perfect in every way. And God said, you can, you can have anything you want. I want you to be Lord over the animals and you can name them. I want you to have everything you want, but just leave that one tree to me. I don't want you to touch that because if you touch it, you will surely die. And, and, and so you, this first couple had the perfect relationship with their creator. They had a perfect relation, a place to live, the environment. The animals, which Adam ruled over, got along perfectly. Um, but something corrupted it. And we see today the corruption uh, that you and I still deal with today, all these years later. Uh, a world of, full of sickness and death and evil and... and um, do you know in that day, all, all of the people that are belong to the harper that are in corrections or law enforcement, you'd be out of a job in those days. And then it says in Genesis 2, But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat from the fruit of every tree in the garden except the one of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and if you eat of its fruit, you will surely die. That word die in the Hebrew literally means dying and you shall die. Now we're going to come back to that. Eve, it says, was deceived by the serpent. But Adam wasn't. It says in 1 Timothy 2, it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived and sin was the result. So Adam willingly disobeyed what God said. Eve was deceived. He willingly disobeyed. And this caused both of them to die spiritually immediately, which is, remember I said the Hebrew word meant you shall die? They died spiritually, and that put into motion that they were going to die physically dying. The same word that when, in Hebrew when God said you shall die, dying, and you shall die, physical and spiritual death. Because of his disobedience, his sin, all of us, his descendants, are born with this sinful nature, this nature of disobedience. How many, how many notice it's a lot easier to do the wrong thing than to do the right thing, right? Why is that? Because of that. How many have ever had a newborn baby? You ever notice how beautiful they are and how cute they are? And if you're a grandpa, you know, you're looking, you're like, man, I've got the cutest baby in the world. I'm not even going to say anything about ugly babies, but just the cutest baby in the world. And, and, and your baby's perfect. Look at the smile. Look at, but the first thing you need to teach that baby is no. That's the first word. No, don't, no, no. And that baby will want to push the limits. Oh, that baby's strong-willed. No, you know. Why is that? You didn't teach it that because it's in there. It's in the DNA. It's corrupted. The, and, and if you don't discipline a child, how does a child grow up? To be out of control, right? And why is that? Because of the sinful nature. It's, that's just proof in just one example that it exists. I'm not saying your baby's bad. I'm just saying it's all of us. But that's proof of it. Because technically that baby should come out and not have any problems with temptation. But they do. So because of Adam's sin, our bodies will die. Because of Adam's sin, God cursed the perfection of his creation. He cursed the world. He cursed the ground. Everything is cursed. You and I only know that. We can't even get our minds around the f fact of living out from underneath the curse. 
All of us know sin, we know suffering, we know sickness, we know death, we know fear, we know tears, right? The world that we see today, I mean, we live in one of the most beautiful places in the country. When you go out on the beach and you, look, you see elements of God's creation um, in his perfection, but, but, but there's a corruption aspect to it as well, and it, that was all by sin. The good news in all this is that God did not abandon his creation after Adam's sin. God had a plan. God had a plan to fix what was now broken. And he promised that one day he would send a Savior to fix it. And so uh, in Genesis 3, there's a prophecy where, where it says that the seed of the woman will bruise or crush the head of the serpent. That's what happened when Jesus came. God created this perfect world in six days, but Adam disobeyed God's command to eat that fruit and brought corruption and death into the world in a moment. And in Romans 5.12, which is a pivotal verse when it comes to the doctrine of sin and, and, and where we stand, a pivotal verse, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. That's the problem. And God had a plan to fix it. So if Adam's sin passed on to his children and his children's children and so on, it eventually gets down to you and I. In fact, we see the first murder in the Bible from Adam's kids. First murder. When his brother murdered uh, his brother. And, and just horrible. So we see the results of that. That leads us to the third C, which is catastrophe. So um, life generations start to happen they're having children they're growing the earth is filling up but as time went by people's hearts were becoming increasingly wicked and it says that god was grieved that he even created mankind what a sad verse and 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 so um god determines i'm just going to wipe it all out i'm going to destroy everything and just wipe the wipe the earth clean it's just it's gotten out of control it's gotten out of hand but there was one man named noah that was righteous and he believed god and he was the only man in that whole world that believed God. And so God created uh, a plan to uh, have Noah build an ark and, and <clears throat> that, that God could preserve them and save them, but he was going to wipe out his creation because of the wickedness and the evil of it. And so they set out on this impossible uh, task to build this ark because God said, that, I'm going to send a flood. And they had never experienced rain up to that point. The, the water was, the, 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 the world was watered by the springs under the ground that would come up and, and water it, and it was fertile and it was lush, but, but they had never experienced rain, and when God says, I'm going to flood the earth, I'm sure they were thinking, how are you going to do that? See, God stands outside of the physical realm that you and I are used to seeing and feeling. The atmospheric pressure was even different back then, completely different than it is now, because it had never rained. There was a whole dynamic in the atmosphere of moisture. And so there, there was a lot of things. That it, was, it would have been a stretch to believe that, but Adam had the faith. And over all those years as he was building the ark, I'm sure neighbors would stop by and say, Adam what, or uh, Noah, what are you doing? And he would tell them, God's going to send the flood. You, if you believe in, 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 in God, if you believe in Jehovah, you, you, can, you can escape. And you know what? No one believed. They thought he was crazy. When he finished building, God brought two of every animal, including dinosaurs, and, and some, some of them seven into the ark. Now, you might say, how did he bring a T-Rex into the ark? He didn't have to bring a full-grown T-Rex. He could bring a baby T-Rex, right? Is that crazy? A baby? Baby dinosaurs? 
Some of your dogs remind me of baby dinosaurs, the way they growl and they're just mean and just kidding. I'm joking. Come on. Noah only needed to house about 16,000 animals on the ark, which would, have, which would account for every um, uh, distinct kind of land-dwelling animal. He didn't have to deal with the fish because they were already in the water. So land-dwelling animals, he only needed 16,000. There was plenty of room for that. And after everyone was on board, God shut the door, and the fountains of the deep, great deep broke up, and the windows of heaven opened up, and, and, and it provided enough water that every spot of the earth was completely covered. And it says in verse 23 of Genesis 7 that God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, which would be like those um, dash hounds and stuff. And, and the birds of the sky, I'm just offending everybody. I'm an equal opportunity offender today. No, just whatever scurries on the ground. Um, all were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat. Do you know that if you were to take a, a big land mover, uh, a ground mover, a big bulldozer, and you were to go through the earth and level all of the mountains to where the whole earth is completely the same level, that there's enough water that the whole earth, the entire earth, would be 1.7 miles underwater. That's crazy. And, and, and so we see that... Um, um, that at the end of the flood, mountains were raised so that the water would begin to puddle where it was supposed to be. So you and I that live on Long Island, we know that we have tides twice a day, and that's, that's based on the moon and, and the whole moon cycle. And so twice a day, God, God just in the sand, you know, does this with his foot and says, you are not to go any farther than that twice a day. God sets the perimeters for the tides. And, and, and I think that the reason that, that I think that it's so amazing that God lifted the mountains up, because on Mount Everest, at the very top, they have found fossils of marine life at the top of Mount Everest. So why couldn't God say, right now I want to raise up the mountains? If, if he created uh, trees and plants and everything with the appearance of age in one day, why couldn't God say, I want to raise the land here? And here, and here, and here, so that the water puddles into the oceans that we know today. Totally doable. After leaving the ark, Noah um, built an altar before the Lord and sacrificed one of each of the clean animals. And then God promised to never send a flood again to, 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 to wipe out creation. And he, and he used the sign of, his, of this promise as a rainbow. And by the way, the rainbow was ours first. And it signifies God's promise and covenant that he would never again wipe out the earth with a flood. Then what happens? They have a new start. You know what's amazing? It doesn't matter the environment we're put in. We always have a tendency to go, go left, don't we? <laughs> go wrong. So they have this brand new environment, new atmospheric structure, New, I'm sure, new topography, new plants. Everything looked different. They have a, they have a chance for a do-over. Everything's going great. And, and as generations start to come and go, uh, uh, guess what? There's a pattern. There's always a pattern here with mankind. And, and uh, God said this. He said, the, it, it said the, uh, hold on here. God, God commanded humanity to, to increase in number and fill the earth in Genesis 9. 
He wanted the whole earth to be filled. It was a do-over. It was a chance for mankind to do it right. And, and the, the, the scary thing is that humanity decided to do the exact opposite. In Genesis 11, it says, The people who live there began to talk about building a great city with a temple tower reaching to the skies, a proud, eternal monument to themselves. This will weld us together, they said, and keep us from scattering all over the world, which is God, what God told them to do. So they made great piles of hard-burned brick and collected bitumen to use as mortar. And they decided to build this gigantic tower as a symbol of their power and to make a name for themselves. Now up to that point, they were all the same color and they all spoke the same language. There was no diversity among mankind. And God says... Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages, and they won't be able to understand each other in that way. The Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. Do you know that in our world today, and in, in remote tribes all over the, the, in the Amazon, and, and just all over, remote tribes that, that speak a, a, a different language than what we even know, they, every people group has a legend of a great flood that had happened one time to their ancestors. Well, that makes perfect sense to me because they, their ancestors were all together and would have heard the stories about Noah's flood. And they just took it with them into their own language groups. As, as God scattered them and they all began to speak their own language, those languages evolved over time and we have a, a variety of different languages today. And Biologically, as they, as they scattered, they took with them different amounts of genetic information for certain characteristics. So height and, and the amount of pigment for their hair or their skin color. Do you know that we all have the same pigment? It's just some have more of it and less of it. We're all the same. And from this one event, the tribes and the nations of the world have resulted. Man, we just can't seem to get it right, can we? Because of what Adam did. Brings me to my fifth C, and that's Christ. God did not leave his, cor his creation corrupted without hope. He promised to send someone one day who would take away the penalty of sin. And the penalty of sin is what? Death. And God put to death an animal in the Garden of Eden so that Adam and Eve's nakedness would be covered. Their shame would be covered. So from that point on, the blood of an innocent animal would have to be shed in order to, to provide a covering for mankind's sin. It didn't eliminate it. It simply covered it. It was a temporary fix to an eternal problem. And for generations, they would have to uh, sacrifice innocent animals to cover their sin. And, and they would look forward to the time, as God would say in his word, where the ultimate sacrifice would happen, when the Messiah would come and once and for all make a permanent sacrifice for their sins. And the thing that must have been frustrating is when you look at the law that God gave to Moses, if you broke part of it, you broke all of it. So it was hopeless. How many of us, when people would share Christ with us, would always go, I'm a good person. I, didn't, I haven't murdered anyone. We, we always like take one of the Ten Commandments and say, well, I'm, I'm good compared to that. Yeah, but you might have broke the other at nine. But even if you broke one, you still see, it is impossible for any of us 
in our own strength, in our own purity, to ever be right with God. Because we have this sin nature in all of us. They needed someone to take away their imperfection and present them faultless and spotless before God's perfection. But there was a problem. All humans are descendants of Adam. And so that that sinful nature comes down through all of us, through Adam, right? And we're born with sin. And God's chosen one had to be perfect as well as infinite to take away the infinite penalty for sin. And God solved the problem by providing a way that His Son will be born through a virgin to bypass the sinful nature, be human, and yet be all God. The Creator of the universe became part of His creation so that He might save His people from their sin. Instead of wiping us out, He allowed His Son to die. For you and I. He paid the penalty of that sin so that you and I could be free and live. Jesus fulfilled more than 50 prophecies about him, about him um, in the 4,000 years leading up to him coming. Um, and and he, he came um, as a surprise to most. But his task was clear to be the sacrificial lamb so that mankind could be redeemed and be brought into perfect relationship with a holy God. That's why we need Jesus. And that brings me to my, my sixth C, and that's the cross. Because if, if the cross wouldn't have happened, uh, we, we, you and I would not have redemption. And so the first Adam brought death into the world through his disobedience, but the second Adam, Christ, brought eternal life into the world through his obedience. See the difference? And because God is perfect and holy... He must punish sin. That's his nature. That's what's just. He must punish sin, either the sinner himself or a substitute to bear his wrath. It was his son. 1 Corinthians 15 says, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Do you see now why you need a Savior? In Philippians 2, it says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross with you and I in mind. And that, in closing, I want to just finish up with the seventh C, and that's consummation. That has not happened yet, and that's what we as believers in Jesus look forward to, the day when all of it's wrapped up, all of it's finished up, and we live with God as He intended. You know, it seems that death has been around as long as humans have been around. And sometimes it seems as though death and suffering are all part of God's creation. And you need to understand that that is not how God intended it. How many, bless you, how many people do you know that have ever been angry at God because they've lost a loved one or they've suffered through something and they're angry at God? It's not God. It's, it's sin. It's the sinful. God hates sin because He has seen what it's done to His family. <coughs> 
And the whole creation is suffering for it because of Adam's sin. And that's why in this life and in the life to come, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus as that sacrificial lamb, and I say, Lord, I, I'm going to, you know, Paul says to present ourselves as living sacrifice. When I say, God, you can have it all, all of it. I'm going to lay it down on the altar for you, and I'm asking you to come onto the throne of my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. And we put our faith and trust and our eternity in Jesus' hands. Uh, he's given us a glimpse of what's ahead. And, and I tell you, if you ever... Just get discouraged with what you see. Number one, turn off the TV because it, it'll drive you crazy. But, but, uh, but you, you just want some pick-me-up. You want, you want to be encouraged. You just read Revelation 21 through 23 or 20, whatever, and, and, and <laughs> just, just uh, experience what's ahead. It's just so amazing. And, and the thing that I love about it is that God has not only promised salvation through His Son, but He's promised to remove in the future the curse the curse on the earth, the curse over mankind. We've never lived out from under the curse. That's all we know. On our best day, that's all we know. Imagine living in a world where there is no curse, where there's no suffering, there's no dying, there's no pain, there's no tears, that, that, that it's perfect like it was in the beginning. That's what God has promised. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. So those of us that, that, that our real estate values probably are going to go down, but I'm just kidding. I'm just, we won't have houses, so we'll have mansions. <laughs> but, um, and, I, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Man, I've done so many weddings, and I, and I have the, the groom on my left, and as soon as the groom sees his bride in the wedding dress, if they do it right and they haven't seen each other that day, he's falling apart. He's crying. His, are, his knees are weak. And he's looking at her going, oh, my gosh, she's the most beautiful. Isn't she beautiful? She's the most beautiful thing. I've always wanted to just go, ah, she's all right. But I've never done that. But uh, I should do that to mess with someone. But, um, but they're just amazed at how beautiful the bride is. And what this is telling me that when we see what God has for us, we're just going to be like, oh, my God. Gosh, isn't it beautiful? It's stunning. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before, the purity of it. And it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them the first time since the garden. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's what we have to look forward to. So I, I just want to, I know I'm running a little long today, but I just, uh, just want to just ask a question. And we're, we're going to just say a prayer together here. And Maybe you're here today for the first time, or you've been coming for a few weeks or months, and, but you've never, the pieces of the puzzle have never all come together of why you need a Savior. It's not about becoming a member of a church or just because it's like the trendy thing to do, like I'm a Jesus follower, I got a WWJD bracelet on my arm and everything. That's not about any of that. It's about we are in a condition, friends, a sinful condition that we inherited but puts us at odds with the Holy God. 
And so, listen, I'm going to just say a prayer, and I want everyone to pray it with me, but especially those of you that are searching today, they're like, you know what, I get it, and I want to surrender my life to a holy God. I get that he's the sacrificial lamb for me, and I want to be presented before a holy father as, as perfect and cleansed and whole, that it can only come through Jesus. And so just pray with me, everyone. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing me here today. I understand now that I need a Savior, that I am a sinner because of what I've inherited and because of my choices. So today I lay my life down before you and I offer it as a living sacrifice and I say, God, enter my heart, change my life, cleanse me by your blood that I might be presented whole before a holy God. Please forgive me and change me and transform my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.